Welcome to an enlightening podcast from IslamPodcasts.com. We encourage our listeners to please comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please remind your family and friends to also visit IslamPodcasts.com for engaging discussions on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, Sira, and much more. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh, brothers and sisters. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah. I'll take two. Hopefully you can uh, hear us, see us. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Give us, uh, you know, give us a signal that you can hear that all's, all's well, all's good, inshallah. And make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the technology uh, holds up. Um, I'm joined today. We're discussing George Floyd. The, the murder, the brutal murder that we all saw just over two weeks ago. A man murdered with a, with a, with a knee choking him to death, subhanAllah. Um, that's created a global reaction, but especially in America where it's quite intense. I'm joined today by Brother Jalil Abdul Adil. Um, Brother Jalil is in the States right now as we're speaking, so he's joining us live from there, alhamdulillah. Um, Assalamu alaikum, Brother Jalil. Alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Brother, how are you? Alhamdulillah, Rabbi mean, Alhamdulillah, um, I'm good, I'm well. Uh, alhamdulillah, people giving salams. Brother Jalil is, uh, is, is a convert to Islam. He's, a, he's an activist in the local communities there. Um, he gives, he speaks, he teaches, he's a teacher. Uh, Brother Jalil's a, a dawah carrier active in Islam, uh, in Islamic dawah, and he's been there for, um, you know, for decades now, alhamdulillah. So, um you said earlier on it's quite intense out there right now yes it is and assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh to all the brothers sisters who are taking the time to join us alhamdulillah this is a time to really reflect on what's the direction for humanity and it is very 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 intense uh, i will suggest to you is probably the most intense i have seen it since the rodney king riots in the early 90s and it continues to escalate. And what my main thing to come to you all today is not as a professor, although I do have that job, not as a commentator to just describe what's going on, but to come as a fellow human being saying what is really best for humanity, which is the way forward. How can we get out of these traps of these continuous cycles of brutality pain, anger, protest, brutality, pain, anger, protest, so we can snap this cycle and actually lift humanity toward maximizing its great potential that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala placed in all of us. And that will only happen when we have the right thoughts, the right behaviors, and equally important, the right system to implement so humanity can contain its weaknesses and build on its strengths. So. You know, this might be a little bit of a different broadcast and uh, some of your audience may be used to with some of the meetings we've had before. Don't look for a whole bunch of statistics. Don't, don't look for case studies and reports and articles and abstractions. This is real and it's raw and it's ripping through the country. And we have to take that same urgency and not just expressing the outrage, but transforming it into practical, permanent change. Um, brothers and sisters, a request to you, please, is please share the video. Um, 
uh, it's you're watching it live on YouTube on, on our Facebook link, but also if you go to our YouTube page, which is on the screen right now, uh, Hizbut Tahrir Britain on YouTube, you can watch it on there and you can please share that link so that others can join us as well. We're getting salams from Bradford and from uh, is it Indonesia and so Alhamdulillah from Samarinda East Borneo. So Alhamdulillah, we've got an audience out there, Muslims eager to, to really understand what we do to contribute to this. Um, Starting off, Brother Jalil, growing up in America, maybe some a background some of us may not have, growing up in America, what were your earliest memories or what were examples of the first time that you experienced racism? And even at that time when you were not a Muslim, what were your earliest examples of, of experiencing racism in society? Yes, let me, let me lead into that with an opening point of where you take the heart when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Ya ayyuhaladina aminu, kunu qawamina bilqisti shuhada alillahi wa law ala anfusikum. That we're supposed to, if we believe, stand forth for justice as a witness to Allah, even if it's against ourselves. That puts the criteria that no matter what, even if it's against your self-interest, of which secularism and capitalism and a lot of these man-made and woman-made systems say, we're supposed to stand forth for justice and so sacrifice commitment to a higher power, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the only way to snap these cycles. Now, even as a non-Muslim, I could sense something was wrong, right? And so when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Rasulullah as our best example, our usfa hasana, and, and Rasulullah told us, Man munkar, Anybody who among you sees something evil should correct it with his own hands. And as we know the famous hadith, if it's unable to do that, then you correct it with your tongue. You got to at least speak out. And if you're unable to do that, then you have to hate it in your heart until you could get back to correcting it with your tongue or your hand until it's gone. So there's an intolerance for injustice. And for me, this was a big attraction to, to, to Islam. Now, as I thought about it, I said, this is not an abstract situation. I'd like to share with the audience that actually I came from an African-American middle-class background. Both of my parents had master's degrees. Uh, I, I had a whole family that was able to fight through the you know, oppressive and racist system to, to be able to acquire degrees, to be able to acquire some moderate wealth. But the sense of injustice and commitment to address the masses situation never went away. You know, and it's funny because my parents never sat down and talked and said, you know what, you got to help people. They did it. It wasn't a special talk. It's like they did it. They gave charity. They worked in communities which were the most underserved or unserved. It was understood you help people. And so even when I was an Muslim, I used to look around, I was like, we, we can do better than this. And one of my first experiences, which kind of crystallized for me in high school, was when I've heard all the horror stories about what my parents went through in the civil rights struggle, when there was the lynchings and there was the beatings and there was the shootings and there was the raping, there was all these things which were going on. And even when I was in high school, there was an African-American whose name was McDuffie who was actually an insurance executive, a so-called middle-class person, who, should, who was not a thug, wasn't doing anything wrong, but he was stopped and harassed by Miami police officers, and they end up doing such a sick incident of police brutality that they literally cracked his head open and killed him. Wow. Cracked his head open and killed him and continued to beat him with their flashlights even after he was limp. This is the same insensitivity you see when people have their, neck, uh, their knee on someone's neck and they're pleading to, to do the most basic thing you can even do from the time you delivered as a baby, which is to breathe. And that's being denied callously. And what happened is when they acquitted all those officers, which is 
the same cycles we see, either weak charges or trumped up uh, situations where it's easy to dismiss or cause mistrials or literally find excuses for the person to go free, then the communities in Florida erupt. Similar to what had happened uh, in LA and similar to what's happening now. Uh, and unfortunately for me, as a, as a young African-American growing up, I'm like, we, we can do better than this. You know, you, you get to the place where you're saying, I'm sick and tired of the injustice. I'm sick and tired of hearing the stories. I'm sick and tired of knowing people who've been harassed. I'm sick and tired of watching it. I'm sick and tired of the conditions which make day-to-day -day survival such a struggle. And you get so sick and tired today. You see people choke. I'm sick and tired of seeing people shot. I just saw a video where a dog was shot who was doing a natural thing to try to protect uh, his master um, or her master from, from being arrested and harassed by the police. Just callous killing. And you get to the point where you're saying, I'm so sick and tired of all this in the words uh, of the famous activist Annie, Fannie Lou Hamer during the civil rights. I'm just sick and tired of being sick and sick tired. tired. You're just sick and tired of it. And you want a change. So for me, I had seen enough. I had experienced enough. And now they have a label for it called microaggression. So you think, okay, I'm a, you know. What, 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 what are some examples of that when you say microaggression? Okay, so some of the examples are where you're being called racial slurs and N-words when you're not doing anything wrong. And I was blessed by Los Pantala to be raised in a very multicultural neighborhood in New York. And I was blessed by Los Pantala that when I was entering the fifth grade, we moved into an all-white neighborhood in Florida. All that Southern culture of white supremacy and racism was there. And it, and it was even more complicated that I'll share with your readers, uh, uh, with the people who are with us. I've moved into an upscale middle-class development as the only African-American family for 10 square miles in wow. the late 70s when virulent, hostile, oppressive racism and racist incidents were still going on very openly. It still happened now, but it was really raw back then, especially in the South, because the Southern culture was predicated on anti-Black racism to, to exploit, control, and when necessarily kill people of color, but particularly Blacks. That was that whole culture that I moved into in Florida. And, you know, ironically, right outside this development, it shows you it's the system that we have to clean out. There was dirt poor, welfare, white people. So I'm the only black person in between these two worlds of dirt poor, public aid, you know, lower class whites and upscale, very comfortable whites. And the thing that I always experience, no matter what, you're not one of us. So the upscale whites would say, okay, even though you have enough money, uh, you have enough to, to fit in, you, you live right down the block from us. Mm -hmm. First time I lose a basketball game, you, uh, you're a nigger. Um, first time, you know, I, I don't give you uh, some of the, you know, give you my lunch, you're a nigger. Uh, mm -hmm. First time I, I even question you, it's like, hey, man, you know, you should watch using N-word. Well, you're a nigger too. Um, so, so that's coming from my neighbors, right, that I'm supposed to be fitting in their society. Now, it got worse when you're looking at the lower income whites who are like, I can't live in there. I don't even like the other white people in there. And there's one of them niggas who's living in there with them. You know, I, I, if nothing else, I got to be better than one of them. And so there was a there was a hatred and a vitriol they used to direct at me it, beyond what my other neighbors got over the class issues because it was so deeply rooted white supremacy. I was calling N word constantly. Anything that happened. Uh, in society. That wow, so a 10-year-old boy, you, you, were, you were having to deal with that. Having to deal with that, and with no allies. There were no racial allies because there was not another Black family for 10 square miles. 
there were no economic allies because the ones who I was in the same socioeconomic status, they were the ones who were like, but you're not one of us, you're still one of them, ends, right? There were, there were no uh, ethnic allies. There were, there were no even, even friends who were, who were stable because as soon as anything would happen where they would get upset with me or, you know, regular times the kids fall out, I automatically became one of them and, was, and would get all those epithets. And so I'm having to manage all of this very isolated, very alienated, with no sense of social support, peer support. And what can one uh, uh, set of parents do when you're surrounded for, for 10 square miles with all of this? It, it went to other levels, like when things would happen in newspaper, like, oh yeah, you're one of them ends who just did that. If there's any problem, and when they would go through, and this is the, the thing that Alhamdulillah is a Muslim, when, you were, when I was able to purge my mind of the capitalist indoctrination and brainwashing, and I was able to unpack true history, I would find out that a lot of the things they told us in school, elementary school, middle school, high school were lies, that black people's history didn't start with slavery. It wasn't that we were all thugs. It wasn't that we were all criminals. It wasn't that, you know, like the, the civil rights activists were troublemakers. Uh, you know, and now it may be hard for some of our audience to appreciate this, but now they have national holidays in favor of Martin Luther King. They, have na they had a national stamp where they acknowledged finally Malcolm X and his revolutionary contributions. But 30 years ago, they were just troublemaking ends yeah. who either deserved to be lynched, killed, or at least in prison. Right. And that's, that's the right. atmosphere that I that I grew up with. Wow. Um, Subhanallah. Subhanallah. Um, brothers and sisters, thanks for joining us. Um, you're watching our show, George Floyd, Murder and Racism in America. Uh, please share the video. It's uh, shared on Facebook with your friends, your family. So we'd love to hear your thoughts during the conversation. It's also on YouTube. It's on our YouTube page, Hezbollah Britain uh, YouTube page. I'm joined by Brother Jalil Abdul Adil from the state. Um, so, so it was rough growing up. Racism, it was, it was rough. And it's interesting that you, you're saying that your upbringing was middle class. So, you know, one can say, okay, you know what, well, you know, the black people who are poor, whereas here, even the one who had managed to rise a bit socioeconomically could not escape racism in the wider society. So you've gone through that. Now, at some point, uh, Islam comes into it. Uh, you, you you become Muslim. What what prompted what 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 led to that? Sure. And so let me let me address another piece because this is Bismillah. one of the one of the important things is that even though there was that level of mistreatment and discrimination, and I've personally been harassed by police myself, even just just as as an adult, um, I never gave up hope on humanity, and I was always able to remember the people, even though they were few, who were true friends, who really did speak out against this, even if there were white people speaking out against other white people, it might be rare, but it happened. And I was blessed to see, you know what? We're still inherently good, okay. but we're being brainwashed and corrupted in the acting ways where we're hating each other or we're fighting each other when we really shouldn't. And one of the main mechanisms that this country has used to control the masses is divide and conquer, mm. right? So. If you can have one oppressed person think the other oppressed person is their problem versus the system is oppressing everybody, that's one of the tricks. But I was blessed by Allah to just know that no matter how much I got from racist people, don't sink to that level. Don't perpetuate this system. There has to be a way out. And there were people, very few, but they were around who gave me that inspiration to say, we can do better than this. And I know we can do better than this because I've seen some 
isolated pockets of where we actually did do better than that. So we think about also the role of the police. Mm. We want to address that before we move on sure. um, um, to my conversion. I saw the situation that happened uh, in high school, but that wasn't the only one. There were times I saw black people roughed up for no reason. Uh, I was harassed and stopped frisked for no reason. Um, and this even continued when I was in graduate school. So even academia, the allegedly uh, bastion of, of enlightened thought, I was harassed by security guards. I heard the N-word said by other students on campus. There were swastikas which were placed on campuses. And even worse from my perspective, there were the books that we were brainwashed into thinking that some people were less than others, whether it was lies of omission or commission to not tell the truth about how we got to this point. Mm -hmm. Just like people look at the riots today and say, what's wrong with those people out there destroying their neighborhood? Or why are they so angry? If you knew the history of the African-American community, historical trauma, and you knew the history of the police and their, their role in controlling and oppressing and oftentimes collaborating in the killing of African-Americans, mm -hmm. you wouldn't be surprised. Right. So in my mind, I'm like, we need a solution for all this. I mean, I could go do something crazy, but I'm like, but we can do better than this. And what will be that mechanism? You think about the police. And, and now, when you say when, when you keep saying we, you're thinking across race. You're thinking yeah. people who are black, white, Latinos, whatever. So it's interesting. You 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 face this racism, but someone within you, you still felt we can still live together somehow because yeah. you know, for some people, that kind of bitter experience can really lead some people to be just like, well, they hate me, all white people are, they're all racist. They're yeah. all, they're all, they're all, they're all. But alhamdulillah, somehow you, you, you kept some perspective. Yes, and that brings up the Islam is even when I was young, I knew there was this thing called Islam. I was raised in a Southern Baptist family. Okay. But when I looked at a few verses of the Quran, when I was in middle school, I was like, oh, there, there is a different way of thinking. There's a different way of being. And I didn't go through intense study. Um, I just knew enough about Tawheed, even sort of Ikhlas, that, okay, we all came from the same source. That cannot be this level of confusion. That's okay. And I had seen flashes of when people transcend those racial divides of how nice it can be when we deal with people. So I never, I never lost hope. Now, when it comes to police, though, and I do want to make sure I mention this, the role of the police in collaboration with government and the African-American community has a long history of control, oppression, and murder. Now, we have to we have to acknowledge that. And you know, one of the reasons I'm glad that we get a chance to talk together is because you can't come to this broadcast looking for easy solutions. You know, if you have cancer, don't, don't come to us for a Band-Aid. There's there no aspirin prescribed for cancer. If you have a cancer, you have to cut it out. And part of it is, is having some uncomfortable truths so we have to say the system itself is perpetuating. And even if it's not an immediate solution, we have to replace it with a better system. So humanity can actually flourish in the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted us to be. So I always knew there was, there was a better way of being. When you look at the police in this country, they started off even before this country was founded as militias that were slave patrols. Their whole job, their whole job was not to uh, protect property and life. It was to control, oppress, keep subjugated and when necessary, kill black people. This is this was not just racism. This is white supremacy focused on anti-black racism in this country, right? Now, there are other groups which have been mistreated, but today we're focused on what's the roots of this George Floyd situation. If you look at it historically correctly, you'll see there's young African-American males who've been killed throughout history, famous examples. Emmett Till, as we know, mm -hmm. someone from mm -hmm. Chicago was brutally slaughtered just because he allegedly whistled 
toward the direction of a white woman when he was uh, visiting the South. You had the unarmed Bobby Hutton, even from the Black Panthers, uh, killed. Uh, you had Fred Hampton murdered in his sleep in Chicago under the J. Edgar Hoover's counterintelligence program, which everybody should know what that was. It was a direct federal program to do nothing but discredit, disrupt, destroy, and otherwise neutralize people who are only asking for rights that they were promised. In Chicago recently, John Burge, also infamous, he's a Chicago police detective who everybody knew and was finally convicted of doing infamous torture of uh, uh, people who were arrested of color to get confessions. Uh, Holman Square, still in Chicago right now, a few blocks from where I work, is a place that's known and was exposed as a black site, quote unquote. What does that mean? It's one of those sites where you take people before they get arrested and you torture them, beat them up and make them confess. Then you take them to the station. Operated similar to intelligence agencies. Mm -hmm. um, and and who, who could forget about the image of Trayvon Martin, right? But we had our own Laquan McDonald right here in Chicago, shot 16 times. So when you look at today, George Floyd, when you look at uh, Ahmed, the, the jogger in Georgia, when you look at uh, Ms. Taylor, uh, who was murdered uh, in her own home and all the other names, this is an extension and a continuation of the historic trend of where the police have never, ever, ever been designed to be in communities of color, especially black communities, as a source of protection and safety. It's always been control, oppress, and when necessary, kill. And that's why when people say black life matters, it doesn't come out of nowhere. It's saying this has not mattered historically. This has not mattered historically. So now it they want to assert that it does matter. And I think what we Muslims can say is not only does black life matter, but black life needs to be embraced, protected, respected, elevated. And if you have the right system, it will not only do that for black life, it'll do that for all the lives under the Islamic system. And I just one other comment I wanted to make. Think about how Islam redirects you. Mm. So when I convert to Islam, I'm redirected to a whole new way of thinking, a whole new cleansing of the capitalist and secularist corruption toward a complete devotion to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you think about something that happens with a Muslim every day. You might see a fly. You might see an ant. Before I'm even allowed to step on it or swat it or shoo it, what do I have to say? Bismillah. Now you think about the respect for a life that you don't create. And you were given a code of conduct from the creator. It's supposed to extend to even a gnat, a mosquito, even a roach. What do you think it should say about human life? How much more? You see, so it's a fundamental revolutionizing of the way you see life, how you see your purpose in life. And when corruption comes to you, like white supremacy or these other uh, isms, which come out of capitalism, you say, no, I don't want that because we can do better. So it was really a relief to reach Islam. Alhamdulillah. I'll be honest with you. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> because, you, know, you, you, don't, you don't feel like I have to fight fire with fire. I don't have to, you racist toward me, I'll be racist toward you. It's like, no, we're here for a higher mission, which is to convey this message. And so even if it's easier, even if I might have my own desires to, to get some type of revenge, mm -hmm. Allah Taala said, like in the first ayah that I mentioned, stand forth for justice, even if it's against me. So I don't have the right, I don't have the justification for continuing to contribute toward this corruption. I'm obligated to carry this message forward and I'm obligated to elevate this message is an option for how we can move forward as not only Muslims, but as humanity. SubhanAllah, Barakallahu Feek. Uh, brothers and sisters, thanks for joining us. You're joining uh, 
Dr. Jalil Abdeladil and myself, Dr. Jalil is in the States right now, um, and we were talking about George Floyd murder and racism. And I think that the first thing that struck me is the issues of we can do better and we can do better for humanity. And I think this maybe is a is an angle that we Muslims need to have in mind. It's, it's a perspective. Yeah, we're looking at the mess. We're looking at humanity in a mess. What have we as Muslims got to contribute here? So you experience racism when you're young, uh, really sad. Uh, it's still going on. This is be bigger than George Floyd. You, you give us many examples of people are not arbitrary. The more recent cases, the older cases, the lynchings. Now you become Muslim. And I find interesting that you say Islam kind of like lifts a burden. Um, so if we come to today, there's a huge burden when I think of America today. As, as you said at the beginning, it's very intense. Um, what's the reality right now? You know, two weeks since this brutal murder, we've seen protests on the streets. Um, we've seen the infamous president, Mr. Mr. Trump. Um, you know, he's also done his own thing. We've seen an appeal to his base. On a day-to-day -day level, you know, at work, uh, in people's interaction with each other in this, in this environment, What's it like? What What is this intensity? What is it doing to the relationships between people, which were not great already, but what, what's actually happening now? Well, I think you're seeing the best of it and the worst of it, and, and I can explain that. So systemically, Trump is just the latest example. The system has always either benignly or now in a hostile manner continued to contribute toward white supremacy, anti-Black racism, and divide and conquer. The, the protection of the wealth, safety, and comforts of the 1%, <laughs> as they say, that has been the system from the beginning, from before it was founded, all the way up through today. And you think about this type of rhetoric we, we hear uh, in the White House or at government levels, Nixon started that. Mm. Reagan polished it. Both Bushes appealed to it. Clinton enforced it economically. Obama continued it, okay? Uh, and now Trump is just glorifying it. So there's, there's no change in how the system has caused this division. What I have also seen is despite the corruption of the system, there's still inherent hope and potential in people. So you have people right now, even though some of it, you see the worst of it, they're at each other's throats. Um, there, there's division, there's, there's threats, there's intimidation. Some people are even getting into physical altercations. Some people are getting shot. We just had somebody who drove their car through the crowd and the shooting people. That's the worst of it but you got the best of it in the sense that people are really taking a fundamental step back. Some of it because of these racial crises, some of it because of the COVID-19, they've been forced to just stop mm. and start thinking. Some of it, there's no sports, you know, there's, no, there's not the same entertainment. People are having to take stock of their life and really think about, can, can we do better? You will see multiracial, multi-ethnic protests which are going on. That's a good thing. That's saying that even if you're not attacking me, I see a problem with that. And as the Quran tells us, be careful of the fitna which may not just circulate amongst the few amongst you. That we have to stamp out oppression and injustice no matter where we see it, even if it's done to me, or it's done to my neighbor, it's done to my family, or even if it's done to a stranger. This is why you see people even on an international basis demonstrating, I didn't meet George Floyd. They definitely didn't meet George Floyd, but we sense this is an example and a symbol of a larger structural racist problem. And the roots of the racism is capitalism. Because if we were living in a system which was founded 
from from the God-given guidance uh, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that would already be stamped out systemically. Would you still have individual Muslims who can get weak? Of course you could. But the system is built to correct and not promote that type of racism. It's built to promote people being devoted and loyal to their creator. And as you fulfill your purpose in life of worship, you take that same commitment as you deal with your fellow human beings. And once we do that, even if I wanted to be racist, so even if I got upset, and sometimes the Sahaba would argue, even if I got weak, I snapped right back because I knew this is not okay, and the system says it's not okay, and the Umba says it's not okay, and humanity would say it's not okay. Very different from if you're in a society which is promoting white supremacy, and you're saying, well, I'm going to join in and get mine because it's all about material wealth and acquiring comforts, then I might if I'm African-American, I might not only join in on a little bit of that to get stuff for myself, I might even be the one who speaks against stamping out racism because I'm vested, I have a vested interest in capitalism, I have a vested interest in my business, I have a vested interest in the social structure, and so I don't want it disturbed. Because my purpose is not a higher purpose, it's just for me to self-indulge and acquire wealth, and that is a problem. So we need a systemic solution to a systemic problem. Protest in the street is a good first step. Saying there needs to be a change is a good first step. What I see us as Muslims, we have to direct all that energy of humanity toward a real, practical, comprehensive solution so we don't have to wait on the next George Floyd to go back out in the streets to the same places that some of us uh, have been, some of our uh, forefathers and foremothers have been for the last literally hundreds of years. People still talk about riots that happened in 1919. Uh, people talk about entire towns being wiped out because of racist violence. People talk about, well, you know, we this is like one of the uh, tricks they use and they brainwash you, right? So I'm, I'm a non-Muslim and I'm believing all that history. But now we can see that the Civil War, for example, was never about freeing African-Americans. It was always about preserving the Union. Even Lincoln, who was called a great emancipator, he said very openly, I have no interest in social equality between blacks and whites. And if I had my way, I'd send them on back to Africa. And he actually made some attempts to do that. And he also said, I will never, ever aspire toward and have never aspired toward equality between the races. When he uh, allegedly liberated uh, with the Emancipation Proclamation uh, African-Americans, actually, it kept in slavery those Blacks who could have actually been officially released. And it freed only the ones in the Southern states who were not under his jurisdiction to actually free and the goal of that was to get the slaves to rebel so he could get more resources in the Union Army. Okay, this is this is all documented, right? So there was one general who actually took him, took the Emancipation Proclamation at his word, and he actually freed African Americans who were under Union control. And Lincoln said, no, no, put them back. Put them back. Put, put, put them back. Because he didn't want to alienate the overall system, right? Um and there's so many things. And people say, well, after Civil War, there was Reconstruction. Uh, what, what happened? And there were Black senators. There were Black officials. Yes. But because the system still revolved around white supremacy, mm. as soon as the Confederate traitors and rebels, this is their words, made a deal with the Northerners to continue with the system, they unleashed the Southerners back to take over all those systems through rape, riot, lynching, murdering shooting until they had intimidated all the blacks away from office and away from even wanting to approach office. Then they implemented laws like the uh, so-called loitering laws 
and like the Black Codes um, to make sure they could re-imprison African-Americans on trivial offenses. So then they would be able to say, okay, you have to work off your debt. Guess where they had to work it off? Same plantations. And they made sure you never really got out of debt. So basically it's, you, you know, you're right back uh, to slavery. They didn't give you the 40 acres and the mule. I mean, we could go down the line of all the historic things where they reinstituted the same system of white supremacy, just under a different title, calling Jim Crow, right? Um, so, so we can look back through history. We can do much better than this. This system was never designed to deliver racial equality, let alone give humans the one thing that they should never have to beg or ask for, which is their own dignity, their own protection, their own support, their connection to their creator, the connection to the only system that really deserves to be implemented on human beings, which is the one that came from the creator of human beings and everything else, which is the loss of Pano Watala. Um, Bron sisters, thanks for joining us. A lot of a lot of questions, a lot of comments, uh, a lot of comments from on, on, on YouTube. A lot of uh, a lot of questions. Um, the, the system in America has always Hola bin Azwa says the system in America has always contributed to white supremacist rule, even under Obama, um, and and you know people be murdered. So th th there's a question here that I, I seem to sense when I've listened to some of the protesters, and I've seen a few videos. I, I was watching a video of a you know, the lady today, she, she spoke very eloquently in a, in a short way. She, she gave an example of Monopoly. And I hear a lot of people now say, this is systemic. This is systemic. I'm hearing that again and again. So is it that people are sensing that this is not about one bad cop or a precinct of bad cops or a city of bad cops? People are sensing there's something about the structure of rule and governance in America, which is leading to the death of black people, the oppression of the poor. When, when people say it's systemic, are they getting it? Or is that a journey that you know we need to take people on? When you say systemic, and therefore, what do you replace that with? This is, this is a good point, and I think it's both. I think that people are now realizing in this generation that you cannot have 400, 500, 600 years of accidents this is, these are not accidents, and they continue to happen against the same group for the same reasons, through the same mechanisms for centuries. You cannot have that many continuous and chronic accidents. This is a reflection of the system. And as people are looking back at the whole role of the police in the system, they're able to now, maybe in a, in a more vivid way, make the connection between the role of the police as the frontline domestic army that implements the, the government's policies, often on the most weak, vulnerable uh, populations, that that has been their role, control and oppress and when necessary, kill. And it's been done with impunity because the police system reflects the overall system. You know, I would insult you to, to mention one cop who was arrested or one cop who went to jail because the level of, of chronic, massive, mistreatment that happens, not even, not even just death, but just daily beatings, mm -hmm. shootings, mm -hmm. uh, uh, daily mass harassment, harassment. Yes, it is, it is so overwhelming that people are saying, well, you know, maybe this is a systemic problem. You can't say just one, one bad cop. And okay. even the notion of, uh, like, like I think Coronel West cracked the joke, you need more than black faces in high places. So this type of police brutality, this type of police misconduct, this type of police murder, 
also happened under Obama, right? So you would say, well, how much higher in office can you get? How many, how many more representatives can you get? This should stop or at least curtail. It never did. Mm. It's continued. And even to this day, police are killing people of color, particularly uh, African-Americans. It's a very viral, virulent form of anti-Black racism that this country has been founded on. The police are just enforcing those policies. And it, we, there, there have been professors uh, uh, who have been times that they weren't known to be professors who are African-American male who've been harassed. Okay, um, I have been harassed, as I mentioned. I remember when I was studying uh, one night in, in you know, my doctorate program, right? Uh, and security guard uh, comes up to me and says, you gotta get out of here. Now I'm sitting in my office with my key, doing my work after hours, but they never even stopped and asked, are you a student here? Well, can I see your student ID? It's like, you gotta get out of here. It's late, you know? Me, it's almost sad. I've been so conditioned to that. I didn't even react with outrage or, or indignation. I calmly said, I belong there. And to make a long story shorter, they call their supervisor and then you know they find out, oh, he actually is a graduate student. Then it's like, oh, I'm sorry. And, and they trot it off as if you are guilty until proven innocent. No matter where you are, no matter how you speak, no matter how you dress, you are guilty until proven innocent. And some people may say, well, this is this is extreme. And there are times when you know you even have African-American cops. And this is true. But the system, the system has for the whole throughout the centuries continued. And this George Floyd incident is just the latest situation, which is reflecting how this continues to happen with impunity. You even think about it. Did, did we watch murder? Or did we watch uh, third degree murder with probably some complications? And well, they don't really have to come out and call. Well, I, 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 I tell you, one of the things know. that I mean, I've, I've I've got the picture on the screen, and um, one of the things that somebody it was actually it was Brother Bilal Abdul Karim. I was listening to Brother Bilal Abdul Karim out in Syria, and he was talking about this, and he pointed something out from the picture, which got me thinking that Chauvin, the policeman, has his knee on the neck of George Floyd. Chauvin, the policeman, has his hands in his pocket. And Brother Bilal Abdikrim was saying, you know, it, it's like, you know, it's like somebody standing in a bar or just, you know, just something casual, something just, you know, you're just waiting for something. You, you put your hands in your pocket, you know, it's like, yeah, what's the big deal? And subhanAllah, this is the reality. Um, and, and it is only by, you know, by Allah's mercy that there were people there to record it and then show it to the rest of us, which has then triggered this anger, indignation, shock that, wow, this is on such a scale. And if those policemen were not caught on camera, we may have just heard that, well, there was a black man and he got, he, he struggled with the police and he got killed and, you know, yeah, and, and, and that was it. Um, and the level of false reporting mm -hmm. by law enforcement has been going back for centuries. This is what I'm saying. Even Emmett Till, who was brutalized, I said, well, he whistled. You, you didn't have your smartphone there. there. There weren't witnesses. There are many times people of color, and particularly African-Americans, are just savaged. They killed San Sarah Bland. I mean, you could go down the line of where the reports say, oh, no, they deserved it. That's basically what you say. Oh, no, they deserved it. Well, actually, no. And even when something is so blatantly caught on 
on tape by so many people. Mm-hmm. You can't say it was edited. You can't say it was doctored. It wasn't Photoshop. It wasn't one person. And as a matter of fact, and this is the sad thing, the people who were watching were pleading, pleading. Yeah. This man's calling for his mom. This man can And he just callously continued to choke. And the other law enforcement officers did not say, hey, man, that's enough. See, that's that thin blue line. These are the things which is why you say it's a system. Mm-hmm. Because there are some police who have spoken out. There's some books even we can refer uh, some, of, some of our uh, listeners to where they speak about the corruption saying, I know it's corrupt because I did it. But those people get blowback, as they say. Those people mm-hmm. have repercussions. Sometimes they're fired. Sometimes they're demoted. Sometimes their lives are threatened. So it's clear the system allows and tacitly supports police being unleashed on the most vulnerable members of the community. And unless and until the system that allows that, encourages it, and actually was founded on Black exploitation of physical labor, um, Black exploitation of of economic produce, Mm. and and Black murder, when people stepped out of line and started questioning the system, until that's completely cleared out, we're going to have the same problems. And so when we talk about in the deen and the Islam, the law sponsors a religion with Allah is Islam. See, that's a relief. First, I know the one who knows more than anyone and who created everyone and knows every condition from George Floyd to Emmett Till to whatever might happen tomorrow has given us a solution where the Quran is a shifa. I'm relieved because I'm like, I don't care how bad this gets. I know that there's always a solution and actually we're moving toward that solution because people are questioning things more. People are looking for more solutions. People are not accepting the same old excuses. Now, do we have all of our do we have all of the energy in society properly aligned to bring about the the fundamental system switch mm-hmm. that we need over to Islam right now? No, we don't. Is it heading that direction? Yes, you can see the signs where people are more willing to give a systemic, systemic. critique as opposed to just saying, "Well, it's just that one that one bad cop." Okay, so this this leads this leads to the issue really that before you became Muslim, you experienced whatever we what most black people experience in America, you experience racism, young critical. You become but you didn't give up hope in humanity. You still felt we, we can live together. We can get along despite our differences. Now you become Muslim and you're you actually see that you know Islam actually is this thing that can melt. Now where does the when when you say Islam, what can Muslims say Muslims in America, I don't know what you know, you know you're on the ground. What are people feeling our audience who are watching, as well as Muslims in America where you are, what is it we can contribute knowing and saying that it's, it's systemic? And when we say systemic, we're saying that's capitalism, the capitalist yes. system. So with this issue of racism, which people feel it's upheld, sustained, was put in place and by the capitalist system, which brought black people to America to work in the south to work in the fields etc etc through slavery so the economic and the capitalist aspect was there from the start now muslims are here now now judge floyd now these figures what muslims feel they can contribute in this situation so i would say that first we need to open up people's minds to the scope of the problem then offer islam as an alternative so just you know just even even what you were mentioning the south was founded on brutal black, uh, anti-black racism and white supremacy. However, 
the North tacitly accepted and coordinated the exploitation of this very same labor. And there were racist incidents up in the North. There were riots burning down black orphanages and a lot of the same racial, uh, racial violence also occurred up North. So it was founded and it was a root of the South. The North supported it and encouraged it. And then the West gave it another justification to go attack other people of color who might've been Native American, but they also brought African-Americans through this type of bondage or this type of debt to make sure they were out there carrying the labor as well. So mm -hmm. it's basically spread throughout the country, right? And, and as we look at it, we say, well, with the scope of that and the historic uh, institutional dynamics which have contributed to it, how do we change it? Well, once you realize you need a fundamental surgery, right? Not a Band-Aid, not an over-the-counter uh, uh, prescription, that you need a surgery, and actually you need a fundamental replacement of the existing system because capitalism, because it cuts us off from Allah, it allows us to put other things in place. And the thing which has been put in place in America, uh, which, is, which has been white supremacy, and, and we're dealing with the bitter fruits of these problems. Once you get that clear, you won't be satisfied with just marching, just protesting, just venting your anger. You say, I'm going to put some concrete work in, even if it doesn't, uh, uh, transfer into an immediate solution, but ultimately it's better, right? Well, how many of us would want to go to the doctor's office that we have cancer and somebody says, okay, here, take, take these painkillers. Now, it may make the pain go away temporarily, but the cancer is getting worse and worse and worse. So we need to make a commitment to our, no, we're going to remove this problem. How do we remove it? We have to encourage people here to think of alternatives, not just reform within the system, but a fundamental comprehensive alternative to the system that might be, according to my beliefs, Islam. Hmm. It actually, to me, is Islam. And I would encourage people to look at Islam and how Islam has solved these problems as a system. Look at the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ. When he came and established the Islamic system in Medina, he didn't say, okay, here's the Muhajirun section, uh, uh, here's the Ansar, Ansar section. section. Yeah, the Ansar section. Here's the migrant section. We got special laws for just you migrants from Africa, we got special ones from the Arabs, we got special ones who are from uh, uh, the Romans, and we got the, like, no, we're one ummah. Mindun and Nas is what Rasulullah said, right? So it really melted the people together as a new system. Now, this was not something which was done overnight. It wasn't something which was easy. It required challenging the people's way of thinking and seeing how themselves in relation to their creator. It, it forced people to think about restructuring relationships from not just what's comfortable, but what, what is correct, right? And it said, we have to change all of the resources so we don't have the system working against the values that the people are trying to implement where we be able to get rid of this racism. And we, we should be part of raising voices. We should never be on the sidelines. Um, some Muslims may say, well, you know what? I'm not perfect. I'm not practicing properly, mm -hmm. so I can't join in. It's like, no, there's a fire in the house. Grab a bucket. Now, you can get a bucket, you can get a water hose, you can throw a cup of water, or you can help someone give the water to someone who's going to do it, but you got to get in the game. you got to get in the game. And your voice needs to be loud. You can't follow behind. You have to be leaders. Someone will say, well, how can we lead? We got you know, our own issues. We got problems in the Muslim world. You lead by the message. This is part of it. Enter into Islam wholeheartedly. That means I'm embracing that entire message and its responsibilities. And so I'm the one who can't just say, 
Black Lives Matter. I have to say Black Lives Matter and to truly protect those lives, we need a solution, which is Islam. I'm the one who can't just say, well, police are brutal. I have to say police are brutal and they will continue to be brutal because they were first established to be brutal despite um, some uh, um, kind-hearted individuals. And so we have to bring a different system of when the police are deployed is actually to protect your dignity, your property, and your and yourself. This is the heavy lifting that the Muslims have to get in the game, but they have to elevate a message so we're not caught back in these cycles again. We've lived through the uh, civil rights riots. We've, mm -hmm. we've lived through uh, the Rodney King riots. We've lived through the Ferguson, Missouri riots. We, now we're back, now, now we're with the George Floyd riots. Uh, That's right. How many more times do we want to go through this? I mean, what, what, what do we want to offer to humanity as Muslims? Do we want to clean up the Muslim world? Do we want to establish a real Islamic state, al-Khalafa, and be able to launch that as a shining beacon? So when people say, uh, well, we can't do any better than this racism, this is always going to be here. So we can point to a society and say, no, there's actually an alternative. And actually, we could invite you to come live as part of this society and build it up with dignity. Do you, you think people today, just imagine if we were able right now to have a call out to America, to these people who are suffering and stressed and, and struggling through these, these um, existences in the cities, in the country, just everywhere and say, you know what? We have a place for you. You know what? Migrate to us. Come on, we'll build your city. We'll give you job skills. We'll, get, we'll give you basic dignity. You won't have to fear the police. Police will actually protect you. We can work together around this. We can offer a new way of life. You think people say, no, 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 I want to stay here and be oppressed? They would come running the same way they came running to the state of Rasulullah. Even if they're crawling with the clothes on their back and they have nothing but see in Islam, we don't have that type of uh, 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 absence of dignity. Because when you come, you're coming for the sake of Allah, to help, him, to help strengthen the message of Allah. And if we do that, then people will be embraced. And some of the people who came with rags on their back in the early days were mm. elevated to the upper echelons of society once they were melted into the society. And this doesn't mean that we're going to ignore color. Actually, because the proper perspective for the creator is we're supposed to embrace color, enjoy yeah. color, but we don't make it a social construction as a mechanism of artificial oppression of others. See, when we get that's why I said Islam was a relief. Because I'm like, oh, okay, now we have a solution to where I don't have to pretend that I'm colorblind. I also don't have to only fight for my color or my complexion. I have a system which addresses this and every single other issue socially, economically, politically, militarily, ecologically, educationally, and every other place. And I say, subhanAllah, we have to offer that message to people so we're not caught in this cycle. Because I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I think many other people in the streets, because they're sick and tired of being sick and tired too. Brothers and sisters, I, I, I hope you got that. I hope you got that. Um, I really hope you got that. You know that vision you were painting at the, at, at, at the end, that people right now, when I'm hearing people right now saying it's systemic, there's a problem in America. If there was a factory called America, and it was producing light bulbs, and all the light bulbs, every few times the light bulbs don't work, people say there's something wrong with the factory. Tear it down, remove the plans, change it, replace it. And so the capitalism, we can see, doesn't work. But I think when people look out there, the Muslim world is a bit of a mess, actually. And I, 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 I saw something the other day. I, I was reading about, a, uh, I was reading about some black people last century, 
when the Soviet Union was created and they felt racism in America. And I was reading about a lady whose ancestors, I think it was her parents, left America to go to the Soviet Union. And I was thinking they left America because they were looking for somewhere where they could live in dignity, where there'd be hope. And at that time, they thought it's going to be the USSR, the, the Union of Soviet, the Soviet Union. Um, it didn't quite turn out to be what they expected. But it shows you that when people are desperate and looking for answers, we can get on the streets and really start opening the minds that Islam's got something to offer. It's got ideas that unites people and it's got a system of life that can rule a society and really blend people together. And I think if the Khilafah existed um, at the time like this, when people are asking these questions, I would just be able to say, well, look over there, look how people coexist. Look how they, because they do what um, Malcolm X, uh, Al-Hajj Malik al-Shabazz, I remember he, he said famously that if America, people in America could accept the oneness of God, that would let them accept the oneness of man. And so really, uh, subhanAllah Islam, Allahu Akbar, um, and, and we got work note, to do. Oh, and yes, we do. And can I just add, you know, when I, when I first became Muslim, I had an idea that I still hold to. And this was before I even knew about the whole Islamic system, but just the Quran and Sunnah by itself. And then when I found out it was a system, it made even more sense. But I've always felt that Islam is the Ark of America. Could you, could you, could you say that again? I, 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 I didn't get that. That Islam is the Ark of America. You what do you mean Nuh, by that? When you think about Nuh and the, the, the society is on the brink of destruction. Hmm. And here's this prophet who is building something that looks very strange to the people, looks like it's irrelevant, it's impractical, it has nothing to do with what's going on around. It's like there's no rain, there's no flood. Why is this guy building the ship, right, to, to their mind? And he diligently constructed the ship because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him to. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows that is actually going to be the solution, no matter how strange it may look. Then when the flood comes, where does everybody want to be on the ship, right? So as I grew up, once I found Islam, I said, you know, Islam is the ark of America. The Quran is the Ark of America. To some people, it looks strange. You know, even looks strange to me. I was not one who studied uh, Islam a lot before I converted. So I didn't know what the Arabic letters were. I could barely say them. My, my throat still gets a little, you know, uh, uh, frazzled or it still gets a little raspy when I'm, when I'm trying to say ayin and this and that. I didn't understand uh, all the terminology, but I knew that this message and the way it reshaped people back to their true purpose, which is worship. And then that purpose allows you to work with people. I was like, this is the savior mm. of America. This is the savior, not only United States, Canada, Middle East, Africa, Asia. This actually in the midst of everybody saying it's strange, this is actually the solution. And one day people will look back and say, boy, I wish I was on that ship. And we don't want to wait until we're standing in front of Allah Subh'ala on day of judgment. We Muslims want to jump on the ship right now. We Muslims want to invite people to join us on this ship. And we know that this is actually the solution for people, no matter how strange and detached it may look to some. We know you have a solution. You have an obligation to deliver that solution. You have an obligation to work for that solution. With no compromise, no quit. We have to have the courage, the character, 
the commitment, the conviction that unless and until we Muslims have taken responsibility as leaders of humanity to change this society, to change the world, our job is not done. And when we change it, it's to sustain it, it's to spread it, it's to make sure that humanity will never have to suffer under these man-made systems, these man-made ideas, these, this white supremacy, this racism, this elitism, this callousness that will allow you to put your, your knee on a person's throat and choke them to death uh, just because you think you can, that a, a system that allows people to get away with murder and then tries to blame the victim in the aftermath, all of that has to be cleaned up. And Islam actually is the ark of America. It's here, it's, it's, it's relevant, I would suggest it's necessary, and the Muslims have to be the ones to call people to it. Uh, Brothers and sisters, um, I hope you got a, I, I certainly got a lot of points there, a lot of food for thought, a lot of uh, reminder of the obligation for us to really talk about Islam as a system, the Khilafa system, what it has to offer for humanity. Um, and where we started with this, uh, Brother Jalil, you and I were, you, you really started from the beginning where you, you, you brought it back to humanity, that the human beings need something which is from their creator to elevate them, to let them rise above the differences that we have, which are differences which the Creator created, and we should just recognize that and live together. And um, really, we, we we got work to do, especially in these times. We need to be out there in the front lines, interacting with people. And now that people have ears and are questioning and are searching, um, really, there can't be a better time for the message of Islam to resonate, but that message needs carriers, needs people to show his ideas, how it unites people and how its system of Khilafah really looks after people. Um, Brother Jalil, really, uh, thank you very much for, for joining us from the States. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continue to, to bless, support you, uh, use us all in this work, inshallah. Uh, brothers and sisters, thank you very much for joining us, um, inshallah. Um, would love to hear your thoughts, your comments as usual, share the video. And really at times like this, when people are questioning, we are the messengers of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam left us a message, a solution for mankind. Uh, this Quran, uh, SubhanAllah, Inna Akramakum Inda Allahi Atkakum, it's our job to carry it. Um, any parting words, Brother Jaleel, before we round it up? I'll just say very quickly, Muslims, take up the challenge. Take up the challenge. Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is creating conditions around us. As you said, Brother Taji, where people are listening with new ears, let us deliver this message. If you think you're ready to deliver the message, do it. If you think you're not ready to deliver the message, do it. Get yourself ready. This is an urgency. This is an immediacy. And we are the ones who have the solution so people don't have to be sick and tired of being sick and tired ever again. Brothers and sisters, thank you very much for joining us. Share the video. Um, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala use us in this work. Let's join hands together. Let's work for his deen. Let's save humanity, bring back the system of the Khilafah and go out right now, as Brother Jalil said. Brother Jalil, thank you very much. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Brothers and sisters, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Podcasts on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, and Sira are available at islampodcasts.com as well as on iTunes. Rate, review, and comment, and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please subscribe, share, and tell a friend about IslamPodcast.com.